Craig is now recording. I'm ready for your motherfucking story, bitch. Ollie's going to be joining us today. Ollie is here with us today. He's going to make a Hello, Ollie. Ollie, come here. Come here, Ollie. Come here. This little bitch. Come here. Hello. Okay. Hello, everybody. It's Mr. Diaries. My name is Jordan. My name is Brooke. Welcome back to our True Crime and Paranormal podcast. As you know, we talk about some gruesome murders and some spooky shit. So let's get started, you spooky bitches. Jordan, I'm ready for your story. Alrighty, let's get into it. Oh my god, did you see that? Um, no, because my cats are... <laughs> guys. I crossed my legs and I almost like... Guys, can y'all not... Eaten my freaking laptop. Can y'all not fight somewhere else? Go. Go. It's a cat podcast. Cat... Catacast. <laughs> <laughs> Go, sissy. So, um... Today, my story is about the freaking saddest story I've ever heard in my life. Um, what is it? It's a Debbie Downer. Um, my story? Yeah, it's a DD. <laughs> <laughs> so, my story today is about the Lover Lane murders in Houston, Texas. Have you heard of them? Mm, sounds familiar. Yeah, there's about a Lover's Lane murder in, like, almost every state. So oh. my research, yeah, my research was kind of hard. Um, so like, what's it called? What? Like, what are their names? So the victims' names are Cheryl Henry and Andy Atkinson. They were uh, brutally murdered while on a date in the summer of 1990. I don't know why this always happens, but there's very limited research. Like I said. Uh-uh. So mm-hmm. I'm gonna tell you. How'd you find out about this? Um, I looked up like um, crazy murders because I wanted to find uh-huh. someone some that was crazy, and yeah. this one's actually unsolved. So oh, okay. it's gonna be annoying at the end. I looked her up and she's pretty. Yeah. Did you see him? He's so cute too. Yeah. So. Um, I'm going to tell this the best I can. If anyone wants to correct me or tell me any additional information, I'm open to that because there's not a lot. So Cheryl Henry was 22 years old. She was the daughter of Bob Henry and now Barbara uh, Barbara Craig. I believe she changed her last name, of course, like the mom did. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So it's said that Cheryl worked at an eye doctor the summer while she was away from school. Um, and Cheryl had a girlfriend. What a coincidence. <laughs> huh? What a coincidence to my person. Oh, weird. Yeah. Why does this always happen? We have, like, really, like, similar things. I don't know. That's weird. <laughs> um, so Cheryl had a, a girl that was a friend that worked at a Yucatan liquor stand. 
and she met Andy through a guy that Cheryl's friend was dating. Does that make sense? So this um, Andy Atkins was 21 at the time of his murder. He was actually just shy of 20 sec- his 22nd birthday. Like me. Yeah, he was the second, or he was the son of Garland Atkins, and um, I watched a YouTube video of Mr. Garland Atkins, the father. Yeah. And he never says the mother's name, but there is a mother of Andy Atkins. I just couldn't find her name anywhere. That's weird. Um, so there's yeah, like it is no weird. information on this case. Yeah, it's very, very limited, and I tried to find as much as I could. Um, so Mr. Garland actually has done a lot of, like, interviews with a bunch of people, and in one of his interviews, he said, I never got the chance to even meet Cheryl. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so Andy was home for the summer from school as well. Oh. Okay, so... Yeah. So they were both home for the summer. Yeah. And they just kind of wanted to go on a date. Oh. Right? This was their first date. Mm hmm. So on August 21st, 1990, Cheryl Henry and Andy Atkinson had parked their car on Enclave Parkway in Eldridge. This, uh, this little spot they found was called Lover's Lane. Oh. They had been on, yeah, it's so cute. I know. I'm like, what the heck? Why? Yeah, they had been on a double date with Cheryl's sister Shane and her boyfriend, but mm-hmm. around 11 they had split up after being at a bar named Bayou Mamas, a sports bar. Cool. Yeah. Um. So like I said, they split up and continued their dates separately. Cheryl and Andy kind of wanted to have some alone time, so that's when they went to um, Lover's Lane. Unfortunately, Cheryl didn't make it home the next morning, and her parents were... Um, kind of like what's going on she's normally back by then yeah that's scary Um, yeah they immediately called the police and um the same day andy's family was noticed that he didn't come home either um andy's grandmother calls andy's father and says andy didn't come home last night um, so Mr. Atkinson, the father, says, well, he's had a date. Um, he will be 22 in a couple of weeks. So maybe he like went down to Galveston, the beach. Yeah. Because they were so close. Understandable. <clears throat> yeah. So he didn't really seem that worried because both of them were adults and they'd gone out on a date. So like, yeah, like they don't know what they're things. doing. Yeah, exactly. So, um, Mr. Atkinson then received a call from Cheryl's father saying that Cheryl hadn't come home either. So now he's like, okay, <laughs> this isn't good. Knowing dad, he would be like tracking us. Yeah. One time sure. I was coming home, like it was like kind of late, like six, mm-hmm. but I was like driving mm-hmm. from college station to back to Dallas. Mm-hmm. And I stopped to get like gas um at a gas station like in the middle of Waco and my mm-hmm. dad was like why are you at a church <laughs> I was like what I'm at a gas station I sent a picture like of me getting gas and I was like why are you tracking me because <laughs> I'm on my way home like okay probably just wanted to make sure you're okay yeah but like it's weird like I don't know when he's like tracking me yeah <laughs> oh well 
Um, so this automatically made them start to worry because, like, they don't know where they are. Yeah. So later that night, on the evening of August 22nd, an abandoned car was found on Enclave Road by a Cisco food security guard. Mm. Um, the the Houston Police Department was immediately notified and began a search around the area of the vehicle. Um, when they when they pulled up the the license plate, yeah, of the car, they noticed that it belonged to Andy Atkinson, no, the missing person. Yeah, while searching the vehicle, he had found fresh blood in the vehicle. The car had been turned off but the keys were still in the ignition. Um, both of the seats in the vehicle had been completely reclined. A woman's shoes and handbags had been scattered on the floorboard of the vehicle as well. Um, so they were, like, were they, like, kidnapped? Uh, you'll see. Hmm. Yeah. The police immediately brought a sniffing dog, or, like, the... What are those called? The... Like the police dogs? Yeah, that sniff around and find shit. They're called something. Drug dogs? They're not drug dogs. Well, they are drug dogs, but they're also cadaver dog. What is that the word? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> dogs that can find things is what yeah. I'm trying to say. Police dogs. Um. Yeah, they led the dogs led them to the body of Cheryl, who was about 200 yards from the abandoned vehicle. Oh my God. Yes. So. Before the police even arrived, all the family members of Cheryl and Andy had arrived at the crime scene. Oh, God. Yeah. Weirdly. Everything. Yeah, they saw everything. So when um, the the dog found Cheryl, um, Andy's father was actually looking, like searching for the two victims in the area. Mm-hmm. and had noticed a police officer shining his light towards the other officers trying to get their attention saying like okay i found something yeah and he had mm-hmm. thought that it was his son's body so he was kind of like yo i need to get over there i need to see what's going on um yeah. and the officer stopped him and said no you don't need to see this it's actually a female victim possibly cheryl mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so it, uh, so Mr. Atkinson was like, oh, where's my son, you know? Yeah. So Cheryl... Did they, what? Like, did they find them, that, like, that day? Uh, no, you'll see, though. Um, okay. Yeah, so Cheryl's nude body was found face down under several planks of cedar fence. Um, her throat had been slashed possibly three times, and she had been raped. Oh my god. Yeah. Cheryl's clothes have been completely cut off of her and tossed near her remains with their hands bound behind her back with hemp rope. Um, and there's so her t- hands were really tied behind her back? Yes. And <gasps> there was a $20 bill sitting right next to her body. Why? You'll see later in the story. Oh, okay. Golly, poor girl. But first of all, like... So, so awful so so awful um so like i said cheryl's mother had been at the crime scene because where it spread fast and they arrived before the cops had yeah um when cheryl's body had been found her mother mrs craig tried to run towards her 
as any mother would, but officers held her back because she was so brutally, like, her throat had been cut. So, like, Mm -hmm. nobody, no family member would want to see her body like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's so, like, sad. Yeah. I don't know. And the reason for this in the end, you're going to be so pissed. Really? Yeah. It's it's going to be something Kind of, but, like, they don't really know. It's, It's just frustrating. Um, so what her mother said was kind of, personally, it was kind of weird to me, but, like, again, I don't have a daughter or a child, so I don't know what I would do in this situation. Mm -hmm. Um, she said in a later interview, she told the interviewee a quote, to this day, I know if they had let me go to Cheryl, I would have breathed into her and she would have been alive. No. Yeah. Her throat was slashed. Yeah, so, like, she wasn't alive whenever they found her. Yeah. Her throat had been slashed. She had been brutally raped. So, like, even if you wanted to... She just wants someone to blame. Yeah, but, like, I mean, she can't really blame the officers because she was already dead whenever they arrived, you know? So, uh, you want to know the weirdest shit about this story, though? Yeah. So Andy had golf clubs and golf balls in his car at the time of the murder. Mm -hmm. And the golf clubs and the golf balls had been pointed to her in a line. Like little breadcrumbs? Yeah, to her body. So they wanted her body to be found. That's weird. Yeah. So in my mind, to try to make sense of all of this, I would assume that like the suspects or the murderers or whatever knew her. Yeah. It, like, this was a personal, like, brutal murder and rape, you know? That's what I was thinking. Yeah. So, um, at the time, they were able to find, like, um, Andy's body at all. They searched and searched and couldn't find him. The uh, same security guard that found the vehicle stayed the night to protect the crime scene. Um, but I guess he'd been searching and walking the grounds and actually came across Andy's body. Um, of course, the police were called and they noticed that Andy's body was tied up to a tree with the same hemp rope facing Cheryl's body. So, like, some sick witch juju stuff. Yeah, he was only 100 yards away um, facing Cheryl's body. Um <laughs> He had a cut to his throat that nearly decapitated him. And uh, he still had uh, his watch and money on him, making robbery an unlikely motive. This is like, I feel like it's like a revenge thing. Yeah, that's what I think. And you know what's like the sad part is like the police had been walking around searching these grounds the whole time Mm -hmm. and so had Andy's father and in this interview that he was in he was saying like he had walked past Andy's body multiple times wait like how how could they not see him though I don't know he was just um I guess covered and stuff yeah and like he had walked past him multiple times and in his interview he was like maybe God didn't want me to see him that way so because he he was no his dad never saw him so maybe like 
God was like, you don't need to see your son in this way. Like, see him the last time you saw him. Yeah. And that's that. Because he was nearly decapitated. Yeah. Because the cut to his throat was so severe. That is so sad. (laughs) Yeah, it's awful. Mm. Um, Yeah. So police had questioned and took DNA from each family member in the closest circle. So, like, every family member in each of the families had been DNA tested. Mm -hmm. And, unfortunately, none of the DNA matched the rape kit for Cheryl. Um, The reason that they went to the closest family members is because, like I said, they the golf clubs were pointed to her yeah so they seemed like it would like her body was also covered up by that offense so they thought it was like super personal mm-hmm. also um just a side fact um there was a lot of like deflated balloons around her body mm-hmm. over a tree limb um it didn't have any connection but like it kind of added to how awful like her body was laying and how awful the crime scene was because it was just in the middle of a field you know yeah Hmm. like no person needs to die that way yeah where was this again i know it's in houston but like did it tell you where um it's on enclave parkway in eldridge i don't know exactly where like if it was north houston south houston but it was in houston So in the first several months, uh, potential suspects were investigated and uh, detectives chased a hundred leads, but like they all ended nowhere. Yeah. Uh, per an per an interview with Andy's father, there was a potential suspect in the inner circle that denied a DNA sample and fled the state. Interesting. Yeah. So. That was obviously very suspicious at the time, but they did not have enough evidence to get a warrant to obtain this DNA sam- sample. Yeah. Um, this individual is never named and is possible to be a suspect to this day. I bet he is. Yeah. Um, thankfully, though, they were able to get his DNA finally. It did not match the rape kit to Cheryl. <laughs> but. There is a theory uh, within the cold case people that there are two people involved in this murder. And the way he, like, fled and everything makes me think that he was possibly a suspect. And he was possibly there. But he wasn't the one that raped her, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? You see what I get? Where I'm getting? Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah. In 2002, um, Houston Police Department DNA lab began having problems and ultimately resulted in the lab's closure. This allowed retesting of hundreds of DNA samples. So I think, I guess, something weird was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sergeant Billy Belk, that was covering this case, uh, never got it retested because he was confident like that they tested it correctly yeah the dna was profiled by renowned researcher dr c thomas kasky the sample was entered into the state's dna index system but was never matched to any other crime so he said the case has never gone completely cold because like every year they get something 
that happens yeah to make them like keep the case open mm-hmm. but it all like goes to dead ends so annoying like he's yeah he said we got at least one lead every year and i follow up on every one of them but they come to a dead end um detective belk or the sergeant belk that's on this case says that this is the thorn in his side he'll never let this case go because he wants to solve so badly well yeah i would too yeah exactly so 10 years after the tra- tragic murders a note was received by the police department um so this was weird because the note that was received like there was no nothing going on with the case like the case wasn't in the news the case wasn't in like the media or anything mm-hmm. it was just a random note at a random time yeah the the note read in block letters if you want to know who killed who killed c henry and a atkins it will cost a hundred thousand dollars <laughs> The note told investigators to reply in a classified section in the Houston Chronicle and warned a lawyer will be hired to make sure you play straight. <laughs> oh, my God. So this guy sent this letter or girl or whoever it is sent this letter and was like, you need to play straight because I have a lawyer involved. I bet it's some dude like just trying to get money. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> Um, the note was answered by the police department following the instructions because they don't want to obviously mess this up because, you know, what if it was real? Yeah. The response read, we do want to know what you know about Henry and Atkinson. A number was given to the note sender or a lawyer to contact investigators with directions on playing straight. Mm. So... The police department has received multiple calls, but nothing to help solve this murder. Like to this day? To this day, nothing. They they have sent the DNA sample to a new lab in hopes to have something solved. I think this was like like in 2019 when the new DNA sample was sent. Mm -hmm. So in 2004... The DNA in the Henry Atkinson case had been independently retested, and this time they actually got a match. Ooh. Yeah. The, the match... It's going to piss you off because the match goes nowhere. <laughs> the match was from a DNA collected in an unsolved rape in, of an exotic dancer from Gigi's. What? So Gigi's is just like a, another uh, like strip club, kind of. Oh. So, a composite sketch was available in the case. Unfortunately, from what we can tell, the composite sketch wasn't created in 1990 at the time of the assault, Mm -hmm. but done in 2004 after police went back to talk to the victim. So, like, they didn't get all the information when the assault actually happened. Why? They're like, oh, maybe this will help solve another case. Let's go back and see if she can remember what he looked like. Oh, my God. Right? Why are they so stupid? Yeah. The DNA had matched a rape, like I said, that happened June 20th, 1990. Which, remember, this first case happened August 21st, 1990. Yeah. So, like, this was, like, how many months before? A month? Two months? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, in June 
1990, reports say an unnamed rape victim left her job at Gigi's around 2 o'clock in the morning and went to her boyfriend's house. As she approached the bedroom, a man came out of the bedroom with a stocking over his face. He was wearing gloves and a matching dark shirt and pants that she described as possibly being, like, a uniform, either a police uniform or, like, a military uniform. What? He had a gun, yeah, he had a gun in his hand, and he knew her boyfriend's name. Hmm. So he knew her and her boyfriend's name. He duct taped her hands behind her back. He tuck taped her eyes and her mouth and put something over her head, then began raping her. No. Yeah, he also took cash from her purse, and during the rape, he told her that she was stupid and not very observant, and that he was wearing a military uniform. (laughs) Which police think, yeah, so he was like, you're stupid, I'm wearing a military uniform, as he's raping her. That's horrible. Um. Police think that was an attempt to put her off of the fact that it was actually something like a security guard uniform. Um, She attempted to call the police after the attack, but discovered the phone lines had been disconnected. Mm. Isn't that terrible? That's horrible. So here's the connection. So Cheryl, the first or the, the victim that I was talking about earlier, worked at a topless bar similar to Gigi's called Rick's Cabaret. Andy's Mm -hmm. father, Mr. Atkinson, was a manager at a strip club around Dream Street, where all these strip clubs were, where Andy occasionally worked the front door. Mm. So police think that the suspect or suspects either worked in a strip club or frequently went to them. Probably, yeah. So, like... He's wearing a security guard uniform. Oh, you get it. I see so where maybe, you're going. maybe he was an independent contractor for a security guard like place, and mm-hmm. they hired him to work the doors. You get where I'm going? Yeah, yeah we could solve this. <laughs> yeah, we could solve this. I think there were personally two of them. Also, the way he left a $20 bill by Cheryl's body, I think the strip clubs were the connection between all of them. Mm -hmm. Obviously. So the reason that these two cases were never connected at the time was because the MO, uh, the motive on these two attacks were completely different. So I'm going to get into my theory on what I think happened. Okay. so my theory is that the guy he was one of the, he was a security guard at one of the strip clubs Andy or Cheryl had worked at and he was jealous or had an obsessive obsession over Cheryl and because Andy's neck was cut so severely like it nearly decapitated him meaning like it was out of rage or jealousy yeah, jealousy yeah so i think he liked Cheryl or wanted to, like, get with Cheryl, and they went out on a date, and he was like, oh, no, 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 I want Cheryl. But, like, why would he kill Cheryl, too? I think the attack on these two teens, the Cheryl and Andy, I don't think they were supposed to murder them. Why? So I think that the the attack got out of control, and Cheryl possibly fought, like, for her life, and this resulted in the three slashes to her throat. So I think they accidentally were like, oh, 
I'm just gonna I I've done too much I need to kill you anyways you know and since Andy was there he watched the rape and murder of Cheryl and and that was very personal Mm -hmm. and they're like okay well he can't see anything so I guess we'll just kill him too (laughs) resulting in the almost decapitation of him like a lot of rage I don't know it's just as much as that's a good theory though yeah so in the end I think this was freaking just out of straight jealousy and and rage and this guy wanted Cheryl and he got one of his buddies to help him and he just wanted to rape her I guess and got out of hand you know I hate that yeah so there is another case that I found interesting two years after the Lovers Lane murders on August 4th 1992 23-year-old Tara Suzette Beckenridge was last seen around 1 a.m. after leaving a men's club in Houston, Texas. Um, So this men's club was a short distance away from Bayou Mamba, where Cheryl and Andy went on their date. Mm -hmm. Tara was last seen talking to a security guard at the club. Oh my god, what a coincidence. Yeah, the guy was wearing a security guard uniform, and Tara has yet to be found, nor has there been an arrest for her disappearance. What's your first clue? Like, come on. Yeah. Many of these victims were blonde or brown-haired, in their 20s, same height and weight, all connected to these strip clubs (laughs) in Houston, Texas. That's so obvious. Yeah. Now, the difference with uh, Andy and Cheryl's murder is all the other murders that were around this time, and a male wasn't involved, but Andy was. Yeah. So that makes me think, like, they didn't mean to murder him, or they didn't plan on murdering Cheryl or Andy. So then again, my theory they were like, oh shit, we did too much. We need to murder them anyways. You know what I mean? Makes sense, yeah. Yeah. So that is the story of the Unsolved Lover Lane murders. Um, The Houston Police Department Cold Case Squad is requesting anyone with information about this murder to contact the Cold Case Squad at 713-308-3618. Or Crime Stoppers at 713-222-TIPS. T-I-P-S. Hmm. And that is my story. Good story. Very sad. Awful story. Yeah. As I was researching this, I was like dreading. Like, I don't want to research this anymore because it's awful and it's terrible. I know. I feel so bad, like, researching about these things because, like, I don't know. It just makes you so sad. Yeah. <laughs> Depressed. Um, yeah, but it's like why why murder out of jealousy? Why murder it's... at all, Jordan? <laughs> True. Why murder at all, you guys? Let's just keep our not. rage to ourselves. <laughs> Go to some therapy. Get your life therapy is good for you don't be don't be embarrassed you're going to therapy therapy is self-care good yes it is what is your theory on that yeah i think it was like the security guard yeah something to do with the security guard 
yeah, I think he had just an obsession with Cheryl and had some twisted thoughts in his head and went a little too far. Well, I just wanted to say thank you for listening. Um, We are wanting to start shouting out our followers at the end of each episode. Um, So if you want to send us a DM, if you would like a shout out, we will definitely give you a shout out because you want to start acknowledging our followers and um, appreciate you guys for listening to us because we are just some silly murder loving. (laughs) We're sickos. Um, so you can follow us on Instagram at Sinister Diaries or subscribe on Spotify at Sinister Diaries with no space in between. So we enjoyed telling our depressing stories to you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, you spooky bitches. Yeah. Bye. We love you. <laughs> Bye. See you next week. <laughs>